I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. You and I need to just talk about uh, all the things. All the things. Great. The focus of this podcast is okay. just let's let's just hit kind of surface level all the things just for fun. Great, fun. I love that. It's our wheelhouse for you <laughs> and me just having conversations. So just surface level skimming the yeah. top of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all small talk. Yep. I said this to a buddy recently and it pinged for me. One of the one of my top ten favorite things in life is top ten lists. Sure. <laughs> and that made me laugh. But listing things, as you will know from my type, is, is just a favorite. Yeah. Put things in order. I bet we could list out 20 or so questions that uh, we hear all the time. That would just be fun to just... Here's our quick take on the 20 or so questions that everybody asks. Great. About the Enneagram. That's awesome. I'm on board. Let me start with you. Okay. TJ, if you could ask just one question about the Enneagram, what yeah. would it be? I'm trying to think of something funny. Yep. <laughs> I guess the real question is, is this a funny question or is this me asking someone who actually knows more than I do a real question about the Enneagram? This is the genie problem where, you know, you ask the genie, hey, what, what should I wish for? And that ends up being one of your wishes kind of thing. <laughs> right. Dang it. Oh. What's the one question <laughs> I should ask? Whoops. Enneagram professional. Well, you yeah. only get one. I only get one. I suppose the the one area that I feel the most um, insufficient, incomplete in my knowledge is probably subtypes. Ah. So it would probably have something to do with subtypes. Fun fact, like uh, we sent out just kind of a general request for, you know, feedback, responses. What do you guys want to hear about? We're doing this series on topics and about half of them were on subtypes. Sure, yeah. Subtypes is one of the things that like, when you start studying it, it makes everything else a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. So it's generally regarded that like you you just you just wait. Suzanne says five years. Mm -hmm. Don't even look at subtypes until five years until you've been studying for five years. So is she always right about these things? She's basically always right about everything. See, I, that's been my experience. You yeah. should listen to Suzanne. <laughs> yeah. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> We're going to record these episodes. We're going to publish them. Everybody's going to get excited. We're going to start by saying, by the way, if you haven't been studying the Enneagram for five years, you should probably not listen to yeah. this podcast. Just ignore it. <laughs> Just skip it. Well, the first question. So I had a, a, a buddy who's um, bringing... I sent here soon, and he sent me 10 questions. I was going to start with some of his, which is it's just a great list to begin with. Perfect. And the first, like always, and this actually is a fantastic place for us to start because we haven't gotten to say this for a while, but uh, hey, TJ. What's up? What's the one rule 
about typing other people? The one rule, okay, so if you were to condense all of the wisdom about typing other people down to like a handful of just really basic things, the number one most important rule to follow when typing other people is don't. It's a temptation. It's And all of us struggle with it. Jeff and I both made this mistake in our early Enneagram days, but the number one rule is do not type other people. And the number two rule is don't type other people. (laughs) (laughs) And the third rule is if it's your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Yeah, that's, yes, yeah. (laughs) This is pretty much... (laughs) Now, of course, there's one big problem with this. You are in a close relationship with this person. Uh It's your partner it's your person it's your kid it's your best friend and they clearly are typing themselves wrong and you know they're typing themselves wrong yeah what do you say to them it doesn't matter if they're typing themselves wrong that's that's on them like you can't fix that for them like you just you just can't you can't type other people so here's the reality the, the great and beautiful thing about the Enneagram is that it is about our motivation, first and foremost. It's the way that we see the world. It's, it's how we make decisions about everything that we do and everything that we touch. And it's off, like we are often unaware of the unconscious motivations and the habits that we've built up on top of that. And the Enneagram is helping us see that and understand our inner motivation and the way that we move up and see the world. Mm. You cannot decide for other people how they see the world. You just can't. So if you think that your partner, your person, your child, whatever, if you think that that person is typing themselves incorrectly, you might be right, but it doesn't matter because it's their decision to make. They are the ones who have to decide what type they are. Mm. And no good will come from you forcing them into a box that they don't believe that they belong in. That's good. I had a conversation, it was an early conversation when we just started our podcast in which some of our close friends who do Enneagram work who are well ahead of us uh, down the road came into town and we were having a conversation and they typed me as a five Mm -hmm. in their hearts, minds, and wisely began actually asking questions, you know, framed in conversation about, uh, you know, who I am and what I'm up to and you know, and what's motivated me recently. And obviously we have shared Enneagram language. One of the things that was real helpful in that conversation was that I realized I have a commitment to the Enneagram material. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself was a big deal in doing self-assessment Right. in that conversation. Because I was committed to the material, I did want to get it correct, right? I mean, obviously that's part of my motive is getting something right and the rest, but, but there's something there for a conversation where I really think this is helpful. And because I think it's helpful, I want to use the tool appropriately. Right. And so I think the way that I took it as we were conversing with these friends, it was more of a, um, I'd be curious if you, if you wanted to reassess this, I see a lot of these traits in your life. Why do you think you're not a five? 
Mm-hmm. And actually, I got a chance to really talk about my motives. And this is who I am. And this is how I come to the world. This is how my relationships work. Right. But that's but it's tricky if you what talk about this for a second. When you think you know somebody's type, you are judging them. Right. And sometimes judgments can be really unhealthy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. We're essentially putting ourselves in a position of authority over someone else's decisions. And especially when we are typing them something different than what they have typed themselves, we're doing that against their will. Like we're trying to impose our view of them onto them against their will. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's not a healthy way to have relationship. Like one of the, one of the things that I learned in therapy at a very young age and, and I hope that, that a lot of people know this and are working on it. And it's, it's a thing that I work with through my whole life is that you cannot change another person's behavior. You cannot change another person's decisions. You cannot make decisions for other people. You can only change how you react to them. And when we decide what someone else's type is, we're making those decisions for them. If we think they're wrong, which is often like, I know people that I think they have typed themselves themselves incorrectly. I'm fully comfortable admitting that I know many people that I think are going about their lives studying a type that I think is wrong. That's not my decision to make. And the only thing that I can actually affect is how I react to them. I cannot affect how they make this decision. Mm. And so if you're looking for what to do in that kind of situation, the, the conversation that you had with, with our friends was actually a really good example of how to go about that because it wasn't imposing their will onto your type. It was asking a lot of probing questions mm-hmm. It was diving into the material with similar language and from a, a, a place where like, it was people that you trust asking you questions about yourself and sort of just, just trying to investigate and trying to get you to investigate what your motives are. Yeah. So if you want to have that conversation with someone that you think has typed themselves wrong, you can ask them questions, but you have to accept their answers. Yeah. Because you cannot make this decision for them. There seems to be a lot of overlaps with other elements of human experience. Like you may know that your kid is gay, but they need to figure that out themselves. Right. And that's part of their humanity is right. coming to discover and own that. And all of the good that comes with that, all the obstacles that come with that, you can't make that decision for them. Or who you love just in general having anyone in your life, your friends or your parents, they may be sources of wisdom and insight and moving you to see certain things on your radar. But you have to discover that, who you're going to love and commit to. Valuable. Right. So uh, question two. Oh, wow. That was only question one. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Hit me with question two. Um, So clearly there's these arrows in the Enneagram. And one of them points towards health and one of them points towards disintegration. Would you talk about those arrows? Well, I'm going to correct some of your language first. (laughs) Number one, one of the arrows does not point toward health. What? It points towards security or integration is another word that's used there or... 
what are other words we use there? We like security. We say security. So we'll just say security for our sake. Even the integration kind of has a value judgment that that's where you're supposed to be. Right. Uh, and the other one we would point, we would call stress and because disintegration is just the opposite of integration and it has, you know, weeds. It's, it's, it's kind of an issue. And, and another point that I think is really important is if you look at some people's version of the Enneagram diagram, the arrows point one way. And if you look at other people's versions, the arrows point another way. So the important thing to know about the arrows is that each of us has a stress point and a security point. Each of us moves, the, the whole Enneagram is very dynamic. We're, we're moving around it constantly. We have wings, we have arrows, we have, the, there is this movement. And when we are stressed, we go to a certain type and pick up some of the, the behaviors that are there. We stay at our motivation. So I identify with type nine. Uh, my base motivation is to avoid conflict and to have things be peaceful and calm. And so when I am stressed out, I go and I pick up some of the behavior at six, which can mean that I kind of freak out about things breaking it and like start to spin out about everything going wrong, but it's still from that place of wanting to avoid conflict. And when I'm in security, I pick up some of the behavior at three and so, like, I, I start setting goals. I start accomplishing things. I, I start demanding that I be recognized for the work that I do. So, like, we, we all have stress and security points, and that's what those arrows are about. Clearly, it was kind of a joke to, to jump in here because we spent a... If you don't know this yet, if you're just jumping into our podcast, we spent, like, half a year on this in terms right. of showcasing that oftentimes the most unhealthy you get is when you're in security. And right. knowing that about your type, knowing that about yourself is really valuable. So do go look at our series on villains and specifically the intro. It'll give you kind of our thoughts there. Yeah, health and unhealth isn't, isn't a good way to describe those because you can get stressful or security in healthy and unhealthy ways. There's healthy stress, there's unhealthy stress. There's healthy security and unhealthy security. The movement is, is still there. It just depends on your health, whether it's good or not. Yep. You'll know this. The first thing that I say in every podcast is the Enneagram's a map, the Enneagram's a tool. One of the things about all these arrows, it seems to me, is that they are tools for those who really do a lot of work on themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many of us don't realize that we have the tools available naturally to us at our wings. Both wing numbers are there to, to grab hold of and use the best elements of. And so too, the tools available in our security number and in our stress number are there for us to use. I'm trying to think of, of, a, of a metaphor for this. The only one that's coming to my mind is like, you can imagine a baseball pitcher who has one pitch. They're, they're just a fastball pitcher. They could throw mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour. But everybody that they're hitting against or is hitting against them knows the fastball is coming every single time. But the best right. pitchers, they got a multitude of pitches. They got they, here's a curveball, here's a slider, and they can they can use these when the moment desires. And I, it seems to me like if you really want to know what it looks like to be advanced in not simply Enneagram study, but in actually applying the tool to yourself, it's going to look something like this. I have 
begun to, to use the tools, the best tools of my wings and the best tools available to me, both in stress and security. Right. Boom. Number three. Great. Lots of questions about stance and relationships. Oftentimes we're attracted to someone who just comes to the world very differently mm-hmm. than us. And yeah. oftentimes that's in stance. Not all the time. Right. But many times. How, how can we understand our own stance and the stance of those that we're in relationship to and how those interconnect? Sure. Stance is actually one of the great, one of the really great entry points to the Enneagram. Truth. Because it's a lot easier to notice stance than many of the other aspects of Enneagram type. Sure. Um, because stances are so different from each other. Mm-hmm. So, so withdrawn is a, is a very distinct kind of, of stance toward the world. Earning is noticeable. You can tell when you have aggressive people in your life or assertive or whatever you want to call it. Those three stances are so distinct from each other that it's a lot easier to recognize stance. And this is actually a really good way to help get other people into it as well is, is to talk about their stance first. Mm-hmm and get them to sort of align themselves in a stance. And then you, you narrow it down from nine to three. It's yep. way easier. So regarding kids, the, the idea there is that you, as a parent, if you are paying attention, you can typically tell what stance your child is in. Now, it's, it's still not a great idea to tell them what stance they're in, but you can, there's so many ways that you can affect your own behavior, your own reactions to your child with the knowledge of what stance you think they're in without telling them, I think you're an aggressive type. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. When you know that if, if your child is aggressive, if your child is in the aggressive stance, then you know that you can react to them. You can, you can treat them in a way that acknowledges that they believe that they can change the world according to how they see it. You can treat them in a way that, that gives voice and language to the fact that they don't understand how their behavior affects other people. You, you can deal with the reality of them just deciding what to do and doing it without, a, without consulting other people. Like that's, that's a real thing. That, that is part of the aggressive stance. And if your child is like that, then you can probably tell. And knowing that will help you parent them better. Mm-hmm. That does not mean you have to tell them that they're an aggressive stance, but you can be better to them by acknowledging this in the way that you parent. Yeah. And that, that goes, that's the same for withdrawn and dependent or earning types. Exactly. Yeah. Cause here's the thing about stance. Here's my shorthand for stance, stance, uh, withdrawn, earning aggressive. It's about how you get what you want most. And so fours, fives and nines withdraw to get what they want most. Ones, twos, sixes, earn what they want most. Threes, eights, sevens, demand, are aggressive about getting what they want most. That comes out in their behavior. And knowing this is a primary strategy of your type for getting what they want most, it's really helpful for saying, 
right now, the places that we are experiencing conflict are coming out of your type, perhaps. If it's an adult, you can say that. Right. You are withdrawing again, and I really need you for the sake of the rest of us to right. engage. Or you're coming across way too strong right now in these places. Mm-hmm. What's the big what's the big thing for I can't <laughs> I can't think of what a one, two, and six would be the equivalent to a one, two, and six. You are doing this right now and it's it's creating stress on everyone else. Withdrawn types and aggressive types are just apparently easy to pick on. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it would be different from each perspective. Yeah. Because from my perspective, it's the the biggest issue I have with with earners, like in that way, is usually about needing too much from me. And, yeah. and I imagine from an aggressive standpoint, it's stop following me around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fourth question. How do you use the Enneagram to navigate conflict? Well, (laughs) you can't change other people. You can only change the way you react to them. So I start by recognizing what I bring to the table. And what I bring to the table is a withdrawn, conflict-free environment. (laughs) And that means not only do I want things to be conflict-free, but I actually shy away from conflict. So I do not assert myself. I don't stand up for what I, I want. I let other people drive even when I don't want whatever it is they're, they're trying to drive me to. And if I let that go on long enough, it comes out of me sideways. And it comes out in big, weird anger. Mm. So the first part of dealing with conflict for me is recognizing that I have to address my own part of what I bring to conflict. And then if I know the other person's type because they have identified their own type and told it to me, then I can start to react to what I know about them. So take, for instance, my relationship with you, Jeff, who is a one. You Mm -hmm. and I have a working relationship with multiple levels of interaction because we're in business together. We work together. We have this podcast together, etc. When we have conflict together, the first thing I need to know is that I am afraid of conflict. The second thing I need to know is that you are idealistic and you are earning not only your place in our relationship, but your own goodness within the world. And so your identity is wrapped up in how you behave and, and different things, all the things that go along with being a one. So when we have conflict together, I have to come to the table with my full self, which means embracing the parts that I'm afraid of and knowing that you and I will still have relationship after this conflict. And I have to recognize and give you space to come to terms with the things that that are behind what you were upset about. So there's like that's that's how healthy people have relationships is they start with themselves and then they give the other person space to be themselves as well. 
and and when both t- people know their types there's actually a, it's a lot easier to come to a table it may not be the first interaction maybe you have a blow up and then you come back to it later but moving forward in healthy ways is about starting with yourself and and giving the other person space to be themselves as well mm-hmm. if you know the enneagram this is a great tool to start to examine what the motivations behind the things that you're fighting about are. Agreed. I probably have said this a handful of times. The reason I got into Enneagram was because I'm not uh, a very emotionally intelligent person. And coming to that spot where I realized I don't have the ability to navigate all the relationships in my life in ways beyond that was both crushing and really helpful. (laughs) Right. A great way to describe the Enneagram. (laughs) Both crushing and really helpful. All conflict is going to involve two people. Sometimes somebody is really, really unhealthy and the other person isn't. And sometimes both people are unhealthy. Sometimes both people are real healthy and there's just conflict that comes from that. Because of life. Uh, the understanding your own motive, as TJ was saying, I think is real helpful. Mm -hmm. This is what I want at my primary core. I need to give a name to it so that it doesn't become a huge obstacle to the valuable relationship I share with the person in front of me. If my ideals get in front of the relationships I share with others, then my ideals are trash. Right. Just clanging gongs at some point if you can't connect. But on the flip side, the them side of things Enneagram for me has given me a source of grace for the person. Um, I understand what it looks like for me to be healthy, given my motive. And perhaps it's the case that now I have this tool and I can see this person is unhealthy given their motive. And yet I know what that feels like. And that's Mm -hmm. been real helpful. Yeah. And that understanding is real helpful. And if I know their type, if we've had that conversation and generally in my closest relationships, this is part of our vocabulary so that we can navigate conflict. I don't want to just sit and put them in a box with their Enneagram type. Right. The type is going to just allow me a, a doorway into their brilliant, everlasting individuality. Mm-hmm. And meeting them there, that's really where connection takes place. Right. And so I, I think, again, Enneagram's a tool. Enneagram's a tool. And so allowing it to kind of set the table in conflict can be, not always, and maybe that's something we're saying, not always, but it can be real helpful. Right. Yeah, and and speaking to that possibility that you're the healthy one and the other person is, is really unhealthy, even if you know their type, like you still can't change how they react to things. You can only change how you react to them. And recognizing, especially if you know their type, it helps to understand and, and like you said, give an opportunity for grace about where they're at. It does not mean that you were required to let them treat you badly. Yep. That's, that's part of health is, is recognizing when you have to set boundaries. And, and sometimes you're in conflict with people that are not going to treat you well. And I, I think it's okay to not be in a relationship with those people. Yep. Even if you know their type and you can see, 
Like that's that's one of the great burdens of nines is that we can see the motivation of other people. That does not give them excuse to treat us badly. And just because we can see why they're being jerks doesn't mean that it's okay. So offer grace and also maybe put up a boundary. Yeah. I suppose there's, I think that's entirely right. There's a handful of other questions that need to also be in the back of your mind. Is this a relationship that really should continue? Especially if there's damage, abuse, if there's, you know, taking place in the relationship, it may not be (laughs) helpful to bring the Enneagram in and start trying to repair things. Right. Um, And and that's, that's one of the things that this is one of the, the big ways that Enneagram is abused by other people is when they use it as an excuse for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. When sevens, when someone decides that they are a seven and that means that they will never be satisfied with their spouse and so it's okay for them to get a divorce, that's not okay. That's not an acceptable way to use this tool that is finding an excuse for bad behavior. When someone, if someone is an eight and they just like trampling over everyone who's in their path because they want their way or the highway, that's not an okay way to behave. That is an Mm -hmm. unhealthy person who's making bad decisions and you do not owe them the opportunity for them to be jerks to you. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the things that are most foundational in our experience as human beings, religion, our political views, economics, Enneagram, these are all things that are routinely used to justify bad behavior. We're able to kill those people who live on the other side of the river because of God and country. Well, no, that's That's, just bad, terrible behavior. Nope. And... (laughs) Just makes you a jerk. (laughs) It just makes you a jerk. And, and it's just another one of those things that shows how powerful the Enneagram can be, mm-hmm. that it's it's at that level in terms of how people see it and conceive of themselves in its light. Right. Hey, uh, TJ. What's up? Question five. Does the, does the Enneagram put you in a box? The Enneagram does not put you in a box. The Enneagram shows you the box that you're already in. I love that little. <laughs> it works. It works yeah, for it's me. It's great. It's great. Um, when and back to part of what we've been talking about this whole time. When you use the enneagram to put other people into a box, the answer is yes. When the enneagram is used appropriately, then the enneagram is is about showing you your unconscious behaviors that are built on the motivation that you may not be aware of. It's showing you the the things that you do that you are n- are not aware of and why you do them. So, like we said, it's showing you the box that you're already in, and it provides you the opportunity and tools, a map, if you will, on how to get out of the box. Yeah, I don't have much to add there. I think, well, no, I do. I want to talk about language. All language is um, taking big concepts and putting it into very small packages. So if I was going to describe capitalism, it would take me 10 or so Wikipedia paragraphs 
but the word capitalism is helpful because it just takes all those big ideas, it puts it into a very small space, and it can be used and moved around. I am right. making all of that, I'm putting all of that into a box. Right. Um, there's all sorts of things that you and I will say about ourselves that use language. We are human beings. We are Americans. We are you are you and I are both cis white males, right. and those are descriptors that unpack a ton of stuff about us. But that's not entirely who we are. Those right. are just those are. It's helpful to to have self awareness and use language to communicate self understanding. And really, that, that that's what I like about Enneagram on this front. It's not a box per se. As though, like, I'm in prison now. Right. And it's certainly not, it's the Enneagram should never be used as a weapon. I'm going to put you in a space and control you through my depthy understanding of your type. Right. That's never appropriate. Even even the concept of just saying that it shows you the box that you're already in, it's it's not quite true because each of the nine types has infinite ways of expressing itself through an actual person. So so your particular box is unique to you. It might look a little bit like other nines. In the same way, like, like language is a great descriptor, but each of us puts our own thing onto our own language. So when you say capitalism, you have some specific thoughts and 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 feelings and reaction and experiences about what capitalism is. I say capitalism and I have other thoughts yep. and feelings yep. and, and we're still both talking about capitalism, but our particular interpretation of capitalism is a little bit different. Yeah. That's the thing about language though. Language has, it, it's not divorced from value judgments. When I say God is a father and you say God is a father, we may have very different reactions to that idea. Absolutely. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't end. I'm an American, you're an American. How do we, how does that make you feel? Right. Um, it's just, it's the nature of language. Yeah. Even, even to say that like we're both white males. Well, that's true. But socioeconomically speaking, we are not the same white males and that's fine. Like the, the, we, we still have some clearer understanding of each other by the knowledge that we are in these particular boxes. Yep. Yeah. Well said. What is a good, uh, question six, what's a good first step for somebody who's new into Enneagram world in terms of, say they say, this is for me and I mm-hmm. want to grow. What's a good first step? Well, uh, they, we have a l- wide catalog of podcasts that we would love to point you to. Uh, <laughs> if you seriously, though, I think that uh, the first thing is don't take a test. The tests are really unhelpful. Don't take the test. Um, oh, that was going to be my next question. Was what, oh, what's cool. your thoughts on tests? We'll skip that. Uh, tests are bad. Eh. Uh, I think. If you were trying to get into the Enneagram for the first time or you know someone who that who you want to get into this, I think that the best possible way to start is by either listening to the Road Back to You podcast or reading the book, The Road Back to You. Mm-hmm. I think these are a just just spectacular first introduction into what the Enneagram is. Bill, 
building on that, Suzanne's first big step is you should shore up your repressed center, that this is a lifelong activity that is a great first step for growth and is a great 2,000th step for growth. Oh, I I think we're... I'm I'm starting a little bit ahead of you, I think. Yeah, like like I, what I the, agree. the very first person, like the very first introduction to the Enneagram. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay. So you know your you know your type. Oh, I'm starting from not knowing your type. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, if, that's a good place to go. If you don't yeah. know your type, where do you start? Yeah, road. I I agree. I think I think that they've done fantastic work on road back to you. I think oh, it's been. Yeah. We can look around and see how many people have really typed themselves well and have been hooked for the long run mm-hmm. through that book. So Yeah. Yeah, well it's I think it's a magnificent magnificent for like very first this is how you get in the door. Yeah. Well then I suppose the second question would be say it's the yeah. case that I know my type, I read that book. Um I just want to work on one big thing mm-hmm. for growth. Great. And I'm new to the Enneagram. Yep. What's what's a good first step? I agree with you. It's the repress center, which is also stance work. So yeah, unpack that. So if I'm a, well, if I'm a three, seven, or eight, I'm just gonna skip to the punchline. Great. What work do I need to do? So for three, sevens, and eights, the the aggressive types, the demanding types, the repress center there is the feeling center. So uh, all three sevens and eights are all out of touch with their own feelings and they're out of touch with other people's feelings in particular. So, so the work for them, and this is like step one and also lifelong, this is the thing that they will be working on for the rest of their lives is getting in touch with that emotional relational center, understanding themselves and learning how to understand other people better part of the aggressive stance is that people do not understand how their behavior affects others and working on that will go a long way to resolving relationships on all of these fronts it's again worth saying and maybe it's that i need to hear this but you need to be gracious with yourself on these fronts these are things that your type is going to struggle with naming that is a great first step Yep. And just being very aware and conscious, this is what I need to work on most in order yep. to be a healthy person. Yep. What is uh, one, two, or six need most to become a healthy person? These are the earners or the de- the uh, dependent stance. These ones are the farthest away from their head. That is their repressed center, the mind, uh, the thinking, processing, information, and data. And the, the work for them is about productive thinking. Now, to say that ones, twos, and sixes don't use their head is like, it, that's not how this works. That's three, sevens, and eights use their emotions. They have and use their emotions, but they're, they don't process that information correctly. Ones, twos, and sixes use their heads. You're a professional philosopher. Of course you use your head, but you don't, engage in productive thinking with all things like 
you mentioned before that that you really struggle with relating emotionally to other people because you have these ideals and let's move forward. Why aren't we moving forward? And and that is a good example of unproductive thinking mm-hmm. is this is the thing that makes the most sense. And I don't understand why other people don't think exactly the same way. It's because productive thinking involves more than just that one thing that you're focused on. And, and there's, there's so much to be said about, about each type on this, but the work for ones, twos and sixes is about shoring up productive thinking. A lot of good activities are like clearing the attic. Uh, so like doing journaling that you just throw away, just kind of like getting the cobwebs out, just, just working really hard on bringing up that thinking processing maybe worth uh i meant to say that like you know what are a couple of practices here mm-hmm. but that that would be it for one season sixes i've heard tell from others that the journaling getting your ideas on paper so that you need to process them in a way that is isolated it's you're not just um oftentimes ones, twos, and sixes can verbally process with others, which is just fine. Right. But learning how to do that on your own of, of getting your ideas on paper so you can see them, react to them, can be very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, and giving yourself grace to understand that this is something you struggle with and you yeah. will struggle with it for the rest of your life. And that is okay. It's just something you get to work on. One of the things that I see in a real healthy two that we know is that she memorizes everything. Like um, she memorizes quotes mm. to give her grounding, sure. and just is routinely kind of bringing out these quotes. And, I don't, and it, it's you can do this in an unhealthy way, but there's a healthy way to do this where it really is a stabilizing yeah. practice. And it is here's something that I've committed my mind and heart to that I think has the ping of of wisdom, which is really what ones, twos, and sixes need. You need mm. the virtue of wisdom and figuring out how to engage wisdom. Memorization of really choice, good, tasty things is, is a great practice. Just yeah. to take a step back, three, sevens, and eights, what's a, what's a worthy practice for, for uh, aggressive types? Um, I think one good thing would be talking about like spending time with your own feelings and talking about your feelings and other people's feelings. Mm, yep. Like just, just having real conversations about feelings with other people and just, just working on understanding how other people feel and how you feel about that. Yep. Not what you think, not what you want to do to solve it, but just being in that feeling mm-hmm. space is going to be a really good practice to work on. In the same way that ones, twos, and sixes need wisdom, three, sevens, and eights need moderation. And mm-hmm. this is actually a moderating activity because you are actually tempering your energy in that moment. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite eights in the world routinely sits me down to ask me how I'm doing. And it actually comes across as really unique mm-hmm. when she does it. And, but I, that's how I see it. One, I think she values relationships, um, right. which is, which is her being a healthy person, but it's also the case that she could tackle the world, but we're going to pause here and ground ourselves. Moderation is, is difficult. And as Aristotle noted, it's the chief virtue. Lastly, uh, fours, fives, and nines, uh, what's their repressed center? The withdrawn types, their repressed center is the body 
or the intuition or the gut. We are, so we take a step back, we withdraw to get the thing that we want, and the struggle that we have is with action. We don't properly engage the world when we need to. And, and the work there, like if, if, you're, if you're only going to do one thing with Enneagram knowledge ever is to work on that one thing. You have to do something with all of your knowledge. You have to make a decision and act on it. You have to like decide what you want and do it. Mm. You have to get going. That's, that's the one thing that we are going to struggle with most, and you just have to do it. Which takes a lot of courage to get right. up. right. C.S. Lewis said that courage is the virtue of... How does that quote go? <laughs> I'm not memorizing quotes like I just said I should. <laughs> Don't you have a degree in C.S. Lewis? Yeah, I do. I wrote, a, I wrote two <laughs> books on C.S. Lewis. Can't remember the courage quote. Something to the extent of courage is, the, is uh, every virtue at the testing point. It's mm. what's required of every virtue at the testing point. Is it's, uh, Courage is a strength of heart. I, I like that there is a mental component here for fours, fives, and nines of saying, I need to do this. So you know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then the engagement, getting your body moving. Yep. That's the move. Yep. Knowing what that looks like. That's what's central. I think of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade a lot. Oh. And and the final task on his, uh, his uh, booby trap extravaganza is leap from the lions a leap from the the mouth of uh, yeah (laughs) a leap from the lion's head or whatever it is and like (laughs) like the only thing he has is to step out yep and once he does he realizes it's a bridge spoiler alert yep uh (laughs) and like like that's he would not have discovered that without trying it yeah the thing that goes through my mind, I had a recent experience where I started doing, um, because of the COVID, doing uh, workout programs on video. Uh, my wife has an app, and I'm just following, you know, the instructor on the video doing right. this exercise. Right. Well, being the one that I am, I chose the hardest one that there was. So I just said, yeah, I'm, I'm in shape. I'm, yeah. I, I could probably do this. Sure. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the difficulty of it really affected my ability to come to it, not that day, but the next day. The next day, I was much less likely. There's something about our bodies, and I've heard you talk about this in the past, that there's something about starting the movement that matters. Mm-hmm. It's not really continuing the movement. It's I just need to get started. And finding, I would imagine for fours, fives, and nines, finding small things that get you moving, mm-hmm. get you going, getting your, engaging your body and getting your heart rate up a little bit and, and, and feeling the, the, the adrenaline or you know, the, the, the physical satisfaction from accomplishing even small tasks that can be super valuable. I know that that's a big thing with, there's one financial guy who his whole system is based on, on baby steps and you Mm -hmm. start with very small things, but they get you moving and thinking about finance and change your, change your habits. Nine, I think nines in particular, like they have this like intuition about inertia, even if they don't know the, the general concept of the idea is, an object in motion stays in motion. And, and once you get going, it's a lot easier to stay going. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, you and I have friends who haven't gotten into the Enneagram. That's true. What, what tests do we hand them and, so that they know what their type is? We don't. That's No, skip the test. They're dumb. 
Why are the tests dumb? <laughs> so many reasons. <laughs> and I know there are some tests out there that cost money. I, I know that there's a $12 one and there's uh, a $60 one now. Um, and I think there's there's like the advanced version of that as well. These tests have, have they the, the developers of these tests have worked really, really, really hard to get to that place. But you can accomplish the same result by spending time learning about the types and figuring out which one makes the most sense to you, which is free, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to circle back to self-discovery, there might be just a moral reason to avoid some of the tests, and that is why do you want somebody else to tell you who you are? Yeah. One. And two, actually, I think a lot of times when you get Enneagram tests, in my experience, here's the cookie cutter answer for you, you're a four. Right. It, you have no buy-in. There's no anchor. So it might actually be a terrible thing to tell people, you should take this test. Let's see what your number is. One of the things about, again, elements of the human experience that are most valuable is oftentimes they take a lot of time and they right. require a lot of energy and commitment and kind of getting into it. Mm -hmm. And fortunately or not, that's that's been my experience with the Enneagram. It's 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 entirely for some people at a certain point in time, and it's just not for other people at at a certain point in time. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Right. I find that with people's encounters with, you know, with God, or is it time to get sober, or is it time to have children? Is it time to to in that relationship, it, there's a season for everything. If if your goal with the test is to know what your type is, so that you can take part in the conversation that's being happen that's happening about it, and you don't care about grow, like you don't want to use it as a tool for personal growth, yeah, then fine, take the test and stop listening right now. <laughs> That's fine. Like I I know a lot of people who do not care about the Enneagram and that is totally fine. Yeah. If what you're trying to do is learn more about yourself and try to grow as a human being, then the test is not really a good way to go down that road. Yeah. Better ways to go. So let's actually add something. So say it's the case that you do you do have the new person. Mm -hmm. We talked about Suzanne's book, Suzanne and Ian Cron's book, The Road yeah. Back to You. Right. Why is it that that book or podcasts are better than tests? Because they give more opportunity to talk about some of the intricacies of the types and, and what makes them different. So so describing the helper as the, the type two, the helper is going to take more than just, do you fit these five things? Yeah. Like you, you need to understand a little bit more about what type two is and what's behind it, both good and bad. Like why are type twos like this? What, what fuels their decision-making process? What's good about being a two, a two, what's bad about being a two. And when that like really sits with you, then like two is the thing to look into more. With a test, it's going to ask you a handful of questions and give you an answer. 
when what you really need to do is spend some time with each type, with the things that are good and bad, with some of the more intricate details. Like we know people who it, it takes, it has taken years to figure out what their type is. Right. Because they need to really spend some time investing in investing in themselves, investing in their own self knowledge to be able to know the answers to some of those questions. Yep. Peek behind the curtain in terms of a lot of the stuff TJ and I have done, we've played with trying to create our own tests and we have, we have stuff that we think is, is real interesting and could work and have routinely said, we've tried to put it in practice and on the backside have said, you know what, that's, it does that just doesn't hit. It's not right. it does it doesn't feel right. And 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 oftentimes when we try to do a really good job with making some type of test, the problem is that we're shooting a fire hose at people. Yeah. It's right. too much information in what is supposed to be quick. In my mind, the best way to t- to type yourself is what is often called the narrative tradition, which is just hearing other people talk about their type mm-hmm. and then listening for yourself. Yeah. There are lots of great podcasts out there. And in fact, most podcasts on Enneagram are of this sort where it's, I'm going to interview a one, I'm going to interview a two, and we're going to ask them questions about their type and bring that forth. Obviously, TJ and I do that through pop culture uh, movie characters and trying to expose the motives there. And that, that can also be a helpful way to, to type. Right. But one of the primary reasons we haven't done a lot of interviews is because we assume that our listeners know their number and we're going to move into some other areas and just kind of expose some of these, some other bigger concepts. Right. Um, but narrative tradition can be real helpful listening to other people talk about themselves. So you want you want to hear uh, you want to hear some uh, a secret about what we're going to do here uh, some point in time? Is it a secret to me? Um, in in my mind, it, I'm not. I don't know the whole bibliography right now. But for my money, the best person studying the narrative tradition is a is a woman that we've worked with in the past named Cambry Ross. She does amazing work, and it's all on Instagram, right? Where she has like fifty thousand people on her list, and she simply asks questions to individual types, and she gets responses back, and she just publishes them, right? And it's a phenomenal way to do the narrative tradition. Mm-hmm. So if TJ and I luck out, hey Cambry, if you're listening, uh, we w- we're going to try and do a series for people who are trying to figure out their type using Cambry's work here in the in the next year. And this would be like, and I imagine we'll have an intro podcast, but it may be the case that like many of our podcasts, it might just be if you think you're one or if you think you're a two. I don't know how this is going to work, but we'll, we'll try and get something that's more narrative down that would be an easy landing place for somebody who wants to get into the Enneagram where it's not just um, I had to take this because my company said so. Because that's right. lame, and right. well, it's not necessarily lame, but it's it, that may not <laughs> mean the enneagram has vastly more power than just helping the, you sell more widgets. Yeah, the 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 company use of the enneagram. I think. Hey, question number eight. What do you think about the company use of the enneagram? <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to to say in a very blunt way, I think it's 
is inappropriate and dangerous for a workplace to use the Enneagram to like pay for their employees to take a test and, or, or especially having it make, using it as a hiring decision like that's terrible because that's yeah. not what the enneagram is for the enneagram is about personal growth first first and foremost Wait, so you and i we find value in using the enneagram in the businesses that we run but we're not forcing that on our people and if our people don't find it valuable then we do something different i guess that's true right there yeah. you go like I have employees that have been very invested in in learning more about their type and and even people that don't work for me any, anymore that still listen to this podcast and send us information every, send us stuff every once in a while like that's it's gr- like that's that's what it is for. What's up Trevor? And hey Trevor. <laughs> uh, and and even as as an employer knowing my employees types is helpful for me to be a better manager to them. It is not appropriate or a good way to run my business by using the Enneagram to try and make my employees better salespeople. Right. Like like that that it's that's not what this tool is for. Yeah, let's say it's the case. Let's talk about that for just two seconds because I I imagine and maybe this is my own personality that I would love to say Here's an opening in the business I have, the company I run. I really need an aggressive person. I, sp- I suppose I can hire based on behavior there. Right. And that's that's what you're looking for. But I'm, I'm really looking for an aggressive person. Yeah. Sure. So it's just behavior. You, just, you can right. measure it based on behavior. Right. And find an aggressive and and manage appropriately. Yeah. Okay, so I need an aggressive person to lead this team. So I I find an eight. Yeah, that doesn't mean that eight is even remotely healthy. Yeah, sure. Or going sure, sure. to be right for the job. You're 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 hiring a box at that point. You're not hiring a person. You, well, you're hoping. I, I, let me spin this the best possible way. It's you're you're saying I think this person this person reports to have the natural skill set that I would love to have. It's kind of like a football coach saying, I really want somebody who can run a certain speed. Sure. But, but you're, because there are levels of health, you're assuming that that person, because of their base motivate, what, what is purportedly their base motivation, you're assuming that that person is going to be good at the work that you need done. Yeah. When what, what may be true is that they're actually like a, a really unhealthy person who's going to be terrible for your team. Right. Or they're good at taking a test and making it seem like they fit what you're looking for. That's also possible. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong here, because I get, I get the sense that the, the folks who react most against Enneagram in business are also those who value it the most in the life of their heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a diminishment. It's using a, this wonderfully powerful, beautiful thing to sell widgets. Yeah. And there's kind of yeah, something, I'm, there's an indecency there. I'm, I'm kind of an elitist on this front. Uh, I'll, I'll own that title. That's fine. Um, but it, it's because 
it, it's because it's an abuse of what the Enneagram is. Yeah. People who hate the Enneagram usually hate how it's abused. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram is a tool, and when it's used wrong, it does damage. Ooh, this is how oftentimes our worst experiences of religious faith are of this sort. You're trying to make right. religious faith do something. It's a, don't use it to sell your political candidate. Right. That is a diminishment of the creator that you are elevating. Right. He's not interested in pushing tax policy from, you know, dropping it from 28% to 24% because you think the freedom the creator gives you is somehow tied <laughs> to marginal income rates. It's a, I like that. That I'm sold. I went into that uh, that answer and uh my my mind was changed. <laughs> and cuz I mean, yeah, it's it's a tool. It's if you're using it to sell widgets, then you're using it wrong. The Enneagram is about personal growth. Yeah, that's good. I have a question. Okay. I may have an answer. Who should we trust as Enneagram teachers? Not us. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what are we doing here? Uh, Who should we trust as Enneagram teachers? You know what I mean there? Yeah. Do they need to have that degree? There's not really a, a, like, I am super skeptical about anybody who's got a a rubber stamp that's going to say, well, this person completed X, Y, and Z Enneagram well, curriculum, and now they're an expert. They're bona fide. Yeah, that's a man who's cashing in on rubber stamps. <laughs> well, <laughs> bona fide. Okay, do you want a list? No, I mean, like, what's what's the criteria, I suppose? You know, why is it that... So, I, uh, I mean, another person who's on our podcast routinely, who's a published author on this, is Sean Palmer, who I respect mm-hmm. greatly, and when Sean speaks, I actually take it as authoritative mm-hmm. on, mo- uh, the, on most yeah. matters, if I'm, especially yeah. if I'm ignorant. I think that as with most things, good teachers are going to have things to say that make sense, and they're not going to insist that they're the only ones who know. Mm-hmm. Good teachers will say when they do not know the answer. And good teachers are going to help you see the truth. They're not just going to tell you the truth. The greatest things about the Enneagram are best discovered, not on your own necessarily, but but best discovered by you. And anyone who's trying to spoon feed you anything probably isn't the best teacher and anyone who is unwilling to acknowledge that they are still learning or like, like this is, this is one of the things that I love so much about Suzanne is that every single time I listen to her, she is learning something too. When she talks to other people, she is always learning something. She, continually says that's something that I've never heard before. And I'm going to start, I, I I'm, I'm going to think on it. I'm going to start, start integrating it into how I think about this particular type. She's always learning from the people that she's talking to. And I've heard other Enneagram teachers who are the voice of 
reason or, or that like they're, they are the authority on this. And it, it's just, if, if teachers seem like they, they know everything, then it's, it's really hard to, especially with something that is so complex and is, is constantly being discovered. Like there's no possibility that we know everything about the Enneagram and anyone who seems like they do, I, it, it's, it's hard to trust them. That last point's important in my mind because for two reasons. One, man, there's been a ton of movement in Enneagram theory since Riso and Hudson published their big book. Case in point would be integration and mm-hmm. disintegration. But, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of adding to theory and even a lot of experiential evidences coming out you know, that would really propel, give color to, you know, to how things are understood. Primarily, if you're going to trust a teacher who's a historian, you have certain standards by which you judge an historian. Mm-hmm. Where have you studied? What's your research look like? Uh, who did you stay under? You know, what, what sort of work have you done? Mm-hmm. There's some things in... Uh, doctors are this way. Which doctor are you going to trust? Well, this is where I practice. You know, this is how long I've been practicing. This is where I got my education. This is my, I don't know how you assess a doctor. <laughs> That's how much I charge is because I don't have insurance. You know? <laughs> hey, Dr. Nick. The thing with some of the people that we need to trust is that they're dealing with issues, um, topics, that aren't tangible. Right. So which pastor do you trust? Which counselor do you trust? Which Enneagram professional do you trust? You know, teachers do you trust? They're working with the life of the soul and the heart. Mm-hmm. And for me, there's just one principal question is, is that person a good person? Mm. If they're not a good person, do not ever. They yeah. may be saying all sorts of things that are motivating, captivating, ping for you as true if they're not a good person do like that's why the moral life is so important for the for for those sorts of vocations right in it in in for the teachers that you and I really are attracted to it strikes me that all those teachers are really good people right. and TJ and I off air will talk about the Enneagram teachers who we just think are clowns right. and almost without exception I think that both of us intuitively think I'm not sure this is a very good person. Mm. So I thought we were going to get through all of our 20 questions. We are not. No. Um, we're, what we're, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good place to split things in half. So for question number 10, uh, which, what is your gut on subtypes? Uh, are they important? Not important? Where do you land? Yes. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's my thing about subtypes. I mentioned that uh, at at the beginning, this is probably the place where I feel the most deficient in my expertise about subtypes because a subtypes make everything more complicated. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking into subtypes, everything you're, you're going from nine types to 27, right? It just makes everything more complicated. Exactly. So the, the general wisdom about subtypes is that you wait five years. If you're going to study subtypes, that's fine. You need to spend time with your type for five years. And then you can start looking into subtypes because subtypes mess up everything. 
B, I think subtypes are both are simultaneously more influential than we know and less influential than we need to worry about. Mm. And, and, and part of that is my belief that, that with the subtypes, we actually move sort of fluidly through them throughout different aspects of our lives. And I think that's agreed upon wisdom. Yeah. That this is one of the places that Enneagram is kind of in flux. Right. It, 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 there can be movement. You're taking on a different posture. How would you define the subtype? I mean, it's, is well, it? I think it depends a lot on who you ask. Uh, I think Beatrice Chestnut, which she has one of the most comprehensive yep. books on subtypes that yep. I've seen. She goes through the 27 yeah. types. Uh, it's the complete Enneagram and yeah. it's 27 paths, something like that. It's a big yep. purple tree. It's beautiful. Um, and I, I really like her book a lot. I really like her descriptions, but she, it seems like she aligns more with subtypes being fixed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, there's three subtypes, sexual, s- self-preservation, and social. And, and each type is divided into one of these three subtypes. That's, that's a, the general information. Do we use our energies for self-preservation? Do we use our energies to focus on the one-on-one relationship, which is another way of saying sexual? Or do we use our relationship to focus on our place in the group, which is social? Well, that's a good definition. I like, that's worth saying again. It's subtypes are about how we use our energies. Right. Right. Our, our motivation is, is filtered through one of these three types, to these three things. Mm-hmm. Self-preservation, one-on-one sexual relationship, not necessarily actual sex, but, but the one-on-one bonding and social. I do, I do hope that bonding becomes more of a, that may have some semantic issues as well, but sexual just always kind of come It's up. the S's, man. Oh, is that what it is? They just want to make the it? the S's. Social, sexual, self-preservation. I hate alliterations. <laughs> <laughs> I have a degree in English, so I can talk about prescriptive grammar. Sure. And here's the thing about alliterations. No, go ahead. So I more closely identify with the self-preservation subtype of nines. This makes more sense to me. I am more concerned about my personal bubble than necessarily my place in the group or one-on-one relationships. This, this space around me is the thing that I'm more focused on. But sometimes I'm more focused on my place in the group. Sometimes I'm more focused on our one-on-one relationship. It depends on the context. It depends on whether I'm at work, whether I'm at a job that I like or not. Uh, it depends on, like, with my extended family, I'm very different than I am with my friends and, and the people that I choose to spend life with. Uh, and I think that we move through these different energies depending on the context of of where we're at and what's what's going to be the most efficient and useful way to try and get through that, get to that motivation. That, that strikes me as a really great way to understand this, that it's not fixed it. And it's not even from season to season. It's you use your energies in different ways given wherever you're at in life. I'm right. forced into social situations sometimes given my vocation. I could say that I'm really bad 
socially. I'm really great on the bonding side, on the one-on-one. That's really my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But I have to jump into social situations and engage those energies in order to do what I do. Right. Even our personal health has an, an effect on this because like, like sometimes we're going to be better at, like we're, we're healthier when we're focused on one aspect of the subtype and when we're focused on this other subtype and, and that's where our energy is going, mm-hmm. that's actually an, a representation of a more unhealth in us. Healthy and self-protective, unhealthy and self-protective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to make our dichotomy. I mean, that's that's really you and I talk quite a bit about enneagram with that lens of health and unhealth. Right. With subtypes, the word that I would want to say is it's important to know at some point what those in your life who you love most, where they engage relationship best, where they use their energies best. So my oldest child, for example is clearly a a sexual subtype. Mm -hmm. When we are together, the four of us, they are a lot more withdrawn and Mm self-protective. But get them one-on-one, and it's just both my kids. Get them one-on-one, and man, it's just, it's a fire hose of energy and discussion. And maybe that's some of me as well, because I'm most comfortable there. So Mm -hmm. I'm pulling that out of them. But we have a lot of our parenting has focused on meeting them in the energies that they want to engage the rest of the world in. And that's been real helpful. So we need to isolate as it were, we need to get our kids in individual one-on-one experiences and we have much more success, you know, kind of moving them into healthier places. Right. But I think even, even with that, I see, your younger child thrive in social settings. Yeah. Of all things. Well, my young, youngest is just a healthy kid. Like, he thrives <laughs> in all three. Sure. Yeah, make sure he's got his on, on the self-protective side. We will talk for, for days if we're on a, in a road trip and, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, we are the last ones to the game in terms of giving people, uh, giving our kids phones and, he showed me uh, some of his group chats recently, the number of group chats he has. And I just started laughing because sure. I don't experience him ever in those settings. But right. the fact that he feels real comfortable in those settings and wants to use his energies there, mm-hmm. it's great good. Yeah. So, yeah, bottom line, I think that subtypes are really good and important way to take a, a step further into self-knowledge and self-growth. And if you're not ready for that, they're going to make everything muddier. Yeah. And they're just, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Wait on the subtypes and that's okay. You don't need to know anything about the subtypes in order to work on yourself. It's a good place to end. We can kind of dip into question 11. I love the idea of complexity being something you shouldn't shoot for. Right. Like simplify this sucker. Like you really yeah. na- nail down the things that are important. Three most important things in the Enneagram in your mind are what? Stance work. One. 
Yeah. <laughs> Stance work. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three most important things. Um, if you're only ever going to work on one thing, stance work is the most important thing. And notice there are only three stances. If you're going to work on two things, stance work first. And, oh, I don't know. I I think that, like, starting from that place of stance work is is going to either be enough work for you for a really long time, or it's going to open the door for you to start taking on more complex things. So I, I, I don't know that I could pick three if you really wanted me to. I, I, I think that stance work is the first place. And then, and then as you get more and more into it, you'll start to see the other places that you really need work. Yeah. For me, because I love list, the I agree. I think that that shoring up your repressed center, as we talked about earlier, is really important to that stance work. Mm-hmm. Um, the second, and we started our podcast with this topic. I, identifying the fear of your type is really important, mm-hmm. and because I think so much of the dark side of our personality comes out in response to our fears. Yeah. So once you nail down your fear, name it. And really focus on slaughtering it. <laughs> I think that's a really healthy step. That's paired with the heart's message, by the way. So knowing your fear and your heart's message, and that's our first podcast. Go find that. Um, this, the thing that has helped me more than anything this last year has been coping style. We have a podcast on that as well. I imagine it, it gets mentioned all the time, but just knowing how you solve problems in relationship and shoot, just in, in general. Yeah. It's just really been a game changer for me, knowing my coping style, knowing my spouse's coping style, and just being able to communicate with that in mind. Because um, what, and we'll do work on this at some point, coping style is really that bridge between your your primary center, your motive, and moving into stress. Mm-hmm. If your coping style fails, if you can't solve the problem, then you're going to move into stress. And that right. movement, I think, is is really interesting one and two uh, we'll spend a lot of time exploring it at some point of how each of the types they can't get what they want they try to fix the problem with their coping style the coping style doesn't work and then they they have to use the tools available in their stress number and that that's been the thing that's been most helpful for me recently I don't know if that's muddy but <laughs> as I say it that might be <laughs> if that sounds muddy just stick with fears and stance there we go my man, first 10 in, or 11, first 11 questions in our 20 or so questions everyone asks about the Enneagram podcast series. This will apparently be a two-parter. Perfect. <laughs> I love two-parters. Do you want to get some new questions uh, from, from the folks? We can always take new questions. That'd be great. I would love to hear some questions from the folks. Yeah. Where can they find us? They can find us... At our houses? <laughs> no. DJ uh, is self-protective. He doesn't want to age people <laughs> online. <laughs> no way. I don't even have an Instagram. I use my business's Instagram to look at things when I need to. They can find us. The best way to find us is on Instagram or Twitter. I check those. and I generally, Actually, I don't know that I fail to respond. So if you want to talk shop, um, send, me, send me some stuff. I'd love to respond. Perfect. But yeah, Instagram and Twitter, send us some questions. If you have two or three, that would be great. And, uh, yeah, you can find the links to all of our stuff, by the way, at aroundthecircle.org. 
friends, we hit that magic number of 150 five-star reviews. We did it. Thank you. We, and this is just how this works. Once you develop an addiction, <laughs> we apparently now need 200 five-star reviews. Do we need 200? <laughs> Must happen. Actually, if you have not gotten a chance to, to just tell, if you really enjoy this podcast, um, it would mean the world to us if you wrote us a quick review. Um, I read those. TJ reads those. They mean the world to us. The music is by The Collection there up front and by Tim Coons and Greeley here on the back side. As always, the best thing you can do, share this with somebody that you love. It means the world to us if you send them, you know, there's a share button on, on everybody's uh, devices that just shares the podcast and it means the world to us when you do that. So that's what I got. You got anything else? I got nothing. He's CJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are. And if it's your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Come burning. <laughs>